0: Let's pop this. This is the first episode of 2021. Welcome back, listeners. My, my, my! What a <laughs> eventful few weeks it has been since our last episode. <laughs> I don't even know. I could give a quick rundown, and then we'll just talk about whatever comes to mind first. Because I think all of us are still spinning. Happy New so, Year! Yeah, Happy New Year! You know. The- <laughs> the clock changed, and then, let's see, in the last, you know, two weeks since our last episode, uh, we've got, you know, tens of thousands of more cases of COVID, and that is growing There's 5,300 cases today. Um, we had a, a massively important election in Georgia, a runoff election that concluded with Democrats winning both the seats. We'll talk about that. Uh, insurrectionists charged the U.S. Capitol and attempted to take it over and stop the electoral process. Um, five people have died related to that. And that is ongoing. And listeners, I'm sure that you have been glued to your televisions and Twitter feeds the way that Scott and Bailey and I have.
1: And the rest of the world.
0: And the rest of the world. But That's I just, exactly right. I say, they They
2: told me, they told me that once 2021 got here, I wouldn't have to doom scroll anymore. I thought I was done with doom scrolling. I thought, like, we've gotten through it. We've, you know, like, we've we've made it. But no, man, since Tuesday, I've pretty much been um, glued to my phone for better or worse. I was going to do this new deal where, like, you know... I was like, gonna try and uh, eat healthier. And then I got home from work. I got home from work Wednesday night. And I was like, so uh, our favorite pasta place has half priced bottles of wine tonight, right? Like, even when you get to go. <laughs> I was like, so pasta and wine three days into the year. It's just. I mean, even just now, like, before we turned the mics on, we'd been talking about the events at the Capitol. And then, Bailey, you were like, oh, we got to talk about the Georgia election. And I was like, shit, that was this week. <laughs> like, that was four days ago. Yeah. Um. So, so far, uh, to quote my favorite tweet of the year so far, um, I have completed the seven-day trial of 2021. I would like to cancel my subscription, please. Yes. Yes, I
0: agree. And, I mean, we honestly could just read headlines – that are each equally important um, for the next hour, and we would scrape the surface of everything that's happened in the last few weeks. So listeners, I hope that you had a happy holiday and that you are finding, you know, discounted wine and pasta to get you through the new year already. Um, And let's, uh, so let's start breaking this down. Um, Bailey, I want to start with you because you actually worked in the U.S. Capitol for a year and went in there every day and I would imagine that this kind of experience hits different as the kids say um, for someone who did that. So what is um, what was Wednesday like for you? What has it been for you?
1: I have felt a range of emotions. The first thing I felt was confusion. When I worked in the Capitol building, I felt that it was one of the most secure places in the world from how much security and the presence they have in every building, at every entrance. Every entrance has a security checkpoint where you have to go through metal detectors. Um, I would watch men um, have to take their belts off and they had suspenders, whatever, and get wand. I mean, it was that serious. Uh, where I'd see just outside of the buildings, there are multiple police officers and, and stations from Capitol Police because the Capitol has its own set of policing, which is 2,200
0: officers, yeah.
1: Separate from the city of D.C., right? right. So, D.C. has its own. White House has its own with Secret Service and other patrolling. And then the Capitol itself has its own police force. And so I expected that area to be safe. So even when I was in D.C. in 2019, we had a time where we had to evacuate the building. I think it was something about um, um, a fire alarm going. It was it was something that was going on that wasn't an emergency, but you just didn't know in those moments. And mm-hmm. so there wasn't a lot of information flow because I happened to be um, in another building when all of that was happening. So I had to even figure out through text messages where my team was and then even how I got, how to get to them because they were closing down exits and and moving people around. And so even just trying to figure out through um, all of that chaos um, was a little nerve wracking. I remember talking to people who, were in the Capitol and working during that time during 9-11. And so even just in that moment, people felt flashbacks and discomfort from the trauma that they felt from 9-11. And they were saying that the Capitol 15, 20 years ago had less patrolling, had less security protocols and things like that back then than they do now because of that situation. And so it confuses me that the white nationalists and Trump supporters have been talking about this event for weeks on social media. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And typically when we hear about, because there's always protests at the Capitol every day, all the time from all these different groups. And so typically... They would be ready and prepared for anything that could be coming. But we saw images of police opening the barricades and allowing them in, which seems counter to the protocols that I experienced even in 2019 from the year that I was there. So I just don't understand why they weren't ready and prepared knowing that there was so much contention and turmoil around the issue of certifying the Electoral College votes, and they knew it was happening on January
0: 6th. Right. So for any of our listeners who haven't had the privilege of visiting Washington, D.C., I think it's important to kind of paint the the picture as accurately as we can of what D.C. is like normally, right? And Bailey, to your point, there are people protesting in D.C. all around town all the time. It's not like necessarily. You name the
1: issue, they're there from climate control to DC statehood to abortion, whatever the issue is. There's always people there every day advocating for or against something. Right.
0: Yeah. On any given day, there's someone's having a Capitol Day, right? Whether or a Hill Day, where they're all there. And, you know, a good example is like Lafayette Park over across from the White House, where there's just always people there, like all the time. You know, whether it's five people or 50 or, you know, 200 or whatever, there's always groups and it's the nation's capital. It makes sense. So, and as prevalent as protesters are, it's not like it's a raucous thing all the time. This isn't a march on Washington, like, or a a million man march or a a march for fear and whatever Jon Stewart and Colbert did several years ago. Uh, march a rally to restore sanity mm-hmm. and or fear. That's what it was. Yeah. It's not like that. Like there are there are big groups, small groups all the time. But there's also a I think a very obvious police presence all around, much more around these buildings. And the Capitol itself is huge, enormous, right? Like it, it's if you've been to our state capitol here, which is a large building, it is tiny compared to the US Capitol. It's a much larger building there's the
1: actual building where the business takes place, where the House does their work, the Senate does their work, uh, leadership has their offices within mm-hmm. the actual Capitol building. And then there's like a welcome center where visitors can come yeah. and do tours and things. And then you have on the, if you were looking at one side of the building, there are three large office buildings where... Our house members um, have their offices and Mm -hmm. meeting rooms and things. And then there's uh, three on the other side for the senators where their office building is, where the staff are, but they all are interconnected. There are hallways and things that connect um, all of those buildings.
0: Yeah, tunnels and stuff. (laughs) Yeah. And the botanical gardens are right there. and It's, it's all really beautiful. Like if, if you listeners, if you can ever have the chance to go to Washington back again, when we can travel someday, you definitely should. I think it's, it is impactful to me. I've been once or twice a year, every year for the last 12 years. And, um, I love going, I, I love the vibe. I love the history. Um, and it's fascinating to see things that we, most of us just see on TV and movies. Right. Um, and this week we saw it on TV in a different way, right? So, um, seeing you know people stream through the you know um, Statuary Hall with Confederate flags and just disregarding the ropes and all just bananas. Um, well,
1: Andy, I want to talk uh, quickly about the why. This wasn't just people yeah. showing up for Donald Trump, even though um, he was writing tweets and doing visits and saying things that enticed the crowd. But this was wrapped around this idea that there was fraud in the election process and that things were done in an unfair way to disadvantage um, Trump supporters and and President Trump's reelection. And so because people took those ideas to heart, they believed that the electoral college process, because we have different steps um, in our federal process when selecting um, a new president or our president in general, not even a new president, um, but when we have elections every four years of who's going to lead this country. um, And one of those is the vote of the electoral college that reflects Uh, which person received the most votes in their state, minus a couple of states, so we won't even get into the technical stuff. Um, And then the House and the Senate vote to certify those votes. And so the physical ballots of the Electoral College votes were also in the Senate, right? And so the folks who decided to storm the Capitol thought that if we show up in mass numbers and we push the House and Senate members of Congress um, and frankly intimidate them, that could change the outcome and stop the process to somehow get Donald Trump back into consideration and to stop um, Joe Biden from becoming the next president and in his inauguration on January twentieth. Yeah. Um, thankfully, when all of those things were happening, there were two women who were Senate aides who grabbed the physical ballots from the Electoral College votes and took them with them to a secure location because there's no telling what could have happened to those ballots um, if they were if they stayed there during uh, the chaos that happened on Wednesday, and so.
0: And they were successful in stopping the process for a short time, right? Like, it, I'm sure we all have seen the video, of people being like, we stopped, we did it. It's like, okay, well, they're just going to start back. Um, and I, you know, I keep thinking that not to go down a dark road here, but I keep, I'm, I am thankful that it has turned out the way it has, right? Where, it stopped. You know, the National Guard got involved. The crowds dispersed,
1: but not immediately. No, I not immediately. I'm just saying, like, could have been prevented if the National Guard or other type of yeah. defense mechanisms were were put in place early on to stop people from vandalizing the building.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, but I, yeah, I mean, there's a ton of things we could have done differently. But I also think, like, on the dark side, right? Like, if if they had had a cohesive leader that was marching with them, I mean, president Trump said, I'm going with you. And then he went back to the white house to the bunker. But even if like Senator Cruz or someone right, like led this, I mean, to me, the difference between an attempted coup and a successful coup is having a little bit of organization go on here. Right. And theoretically some firepower, but I mean, again, people died. This was, this is not insignificant. This is not something that we can or should dismiss as a, one-off occurrence in our country's history. The last time people uh, invaded the Capitol was the British, like 200 whatever years ago, like this is a big deal.
1: We also have to talk about the role that folks in our own delegation played in the conversations around what was happening with the electoral college, the conversations about voter fraud, And the things that inspired the half million people who showed up to overthrow the Capitol. Right. Um, Senator James Lankford was among the I believe it was like six or seven senators who before the Electoral College vote to certify those votes said that they were going to object and push for a commission to be put in place to review um, in the swing states where um, President Trump lost by smaller margins. And so the narrative was created that if President Trump lost in Michigan, Arizona, Georgia, Pennsylvania, then there had to have been voter fraud. Um, And he was prepared to have that conversation on the Senate floor to justify that, you know, he he said in in his letter that he emailed to constituents that there have been examples, you know, over the past 200 years of dissenting against the electoral college vote. And so this is part of the process. As he was talking, that's when senators were told to evacuate the building because of what was happening around him. And because of those moments, and you saw different senators and, and, and members of Congress, but I'm gonna focus on the Senate in my comments, um, have different reactions. You saw the Mitt Romneys who were heated, <laughs> who are so upset and were at their wits end um, about uh, the direction our country was moving in terms of this transfer of power to then uh, members like our own Senator James Lankford, who had a change of heart and voted differently after that situation occurred. And then you had in an alternate universe, Senator Inhofe, who said from the beginning that I have to stand with my constitutional duties. I can't stand in the way of the will of the people. And so the people voted this way. So I'm going to vote to certify the results. And I did not expect that. A lot of people are saying it's because. Inhofe doesn't have another election because he's not going to run again. Um, And then Lankford has an election in two years, but it's still interesting how those shifts of thought are different even among different conservatives within the same party.
0: Yeah, and as we are uh, saying this, um, Alaska Senator Lisa Murkowski has just said she wants Trump to resign now. And if the Republican Party is really the party of Trump, she's not sure it's the party for her. And I think we are seeing more and more of uh, people vocalizing this, right? And I think there's certainly a call for people like Murkowski and Romney and Ben Sass and others to either leave the GOP and start their own conservative party, which would have a, a ton of energy and power behind it. Um, or, you know, you got to figure out how to, your ranks of this seditious bunch right and i i do think it's i mean go ahead scott no i
2: would just uh you know i guess maybe the the big you know the the like poster the headline for 2021 for me so far is that like i guess it's the year that i decided mitt romney was a freaking hero which is <laughs> uh you know like not really on brand for me dude romney was pissed after after all this, like his speech when he got up, I mean, he I, I would say he stopped uh, just short of excoriating his colleagues and uh, the Especially line that really stuck,
1: put himself on the line before yeah. that to vote for uh, the impeachment process. So well, yeah. he and right he,
2: he said, well the, the line that stuck with me that from from his comments, he said, if you want people, he said, if you want your constituents to feel better about the electoral process, the way to achieve that is by telling them the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, which I was like, um, I mean, I, I, I got a little bit, of, I got a little bit of chills when mm-hmm. I hear that, you know? Um, and then I'll say to your point about Senator Langford, Bailey, um, I've, I just got the letter. I haven't, I haven't read it all in its entirety. It's way too wordy. I'm just looking at it. I'll, I'll, I'll read it front to, I'll, I'll read it, you know, and in, in it's entirety here in a little bit, but, uh, national, national review, which if anybody's familiar with national review, it's not a, uh. It is, it is not a progressive publication. <laughs> this, is not a, this is not a liberal publication. Um, they said, here's the truth. And then, and then we can link to this article in the show notes. So here's the truth. No fact pattern concerning election fraud, the election's result, or his constituents' concerns had changed in the intervening hours. Only Lankford's calculations regarding whether such a challenge benefited him politically. The junior senator from Oklahoma... Couldn't have looked more ridiculous. Look, if Senator Lankford feels like there needs to be a commission and investigating, you know, like voter fraud and election security or whatever, and he feels strongly enough about that that he wanted to try and delay certification of votes from Arizona, Pennsylvania, Georgia, um, and then what were the two others? Or six Michigan. states that they were: Michigan and Wisconsin. Yeah. You know, then then what what changed? During, during the six or so hours that they were in hiding, right? And so, to me, like this, the fact that there were you know these thirteen senators that said that they were going to support this by the end of it, there were six of them that were done. Um, you know, there were six of them that that held to that. You know, notably senators uh, Hawley and Cruz. Like, if this is really all about election integrity, I mean, then then what changed their mind? To me, it just it shows that this was this was theater. This was about trying to prove a point and prove their can their their trump bona bona fides and you know to to all of the republicans including our own senator inhofe and senator romney and um senator sass from nebraska and that stood up and said i mean i mean hell i'll even give credit to mike lee uh, senator mike <laughs> lee uh the other senator from utah the the senior senator from utah who said I've looked at this six, six ways to Sunday. I am not a constitutional scholar, but I think Mike Lee is at least a lawyer and was maybe considered for... I think he was considered for a spot on the Supreme Court uh, at some point. Um, he was he was like, he just, this is not what this is for. That's like our role here is ceremonial, right? We open the ballots, we count them. We open the ballots, we count them. This reminds me of, of uh, several years ago. This was, I want to say, during... 2010 or maybe 2012 during the Obama administration, maybe 2011, there was a, a vote to do something called raise the debt ceiling, right? This has been done, I don't even know how many times in American history, but it happens all the time, right? Essentially, you have to extend the line of credit that the United States is allowed to borrow, right? We're only allowed to have so much debt, and if we're coming up against that, you got to extend that. And the way- the reason we had come up against it then was because we had a massive financial crisis in 2008. Um, we had to spend a lot of money to try and dig our way out of it. Some people think we should have spent even more than we did, and we had to borrow most of that money. Raising the debt ceiling has never been controversial, like ever. Like No one's ever been like, no, we're not going to do it, or used uh, the debt ceiling increase as a way to try and force a concession from the opposite party. Like It doesn't happen. Um, But in 2011 or 2010 or 2012, whatever year it was, it happened, right? We... You know, the Congress, the majority party in Congress decided they were going to use that as leverage to try and force their policy agenda. Um, This mundane thing that most people in America don't even know happens. And this to me is another example of the same thing of trying to weaponize these what are really supposed to be formal processes of government um, to to achieve some. End and it really uh, kind of pisses me off.
1: Well, and I feel <laughs> like it aligns with America's history. I've been following several political scientists on Twitter and Facebook to read, you know, their takes on what we're seeing in our current time. And they're saying, We told you so, right? When you look at patterns in American history on how this country was formed, how the states, reformed there was strong arming right there was intimidation factors there was bull- all these people that we typically refer to as patriots were doing some shady stuff to make deals and to make things happen right and so what happened on wednesday is as american as apple pie and it aligns with so many things that are consistent with our nation's history that we have to take a step back and say Why are we like this? How can we change and redefine what it means to be a patriot? One of the challenging things we're hearing is this framing of what it means to be an American patriot. And if you hear the stories of the people who showed up to the Capitol, they will tell you it's because they care so much about this country and they care about the Constitution so much that they're going to do anything by any means necessary to, um, protect their freedoms, um, and protect, um, conservative values. Right. And so we have to have a real conversation in this country and even, um, Republicans in this time are at a real crossroads to decide who are we? Are we this faction of, Trump supporters who are storming the Capitol and are willing to put our national security at risk and undermine our democratic principles? Or are we believers in the constitution that we say we believe in? And we're seeing different people come out in different ways. So the big news from yesterday was seeing members of President Trump's own cabinet making the decision to resign even two weeks before uh, the inauguration of a new president. So we have Mitch McConnell's wife, who was the secretary of transportation and the secretary of education, Betsy DeVos, who all have stood by Trump over the past four years, make the decision that they're going to resign.
0: Which is just (laughs) nuts. I mean, that's like, you bought, I saw an analogy that said, you know, you bought the plane ticket, you got on the plane, You rode the flight the whole way there, and then, you know, you unbuckled your seatbelt a little bit before the flight attendant told you you were able to. That doesn't mean you didn't get to where you are because of that airplane, right? Like, it's, yeah. Also, it is pretty clearly an effort. Maybe they're embarrassed. Maybe they've got something else lined up. Maybe they don't want to be in a position where they have to vote to invoke the 25th Amendment against the president and be on the record for all of history because it has never been invoked in this way before um, as a cabinet member who voted to, uh, to suspend, to revoke the rights or the, uh, the authority of the president.
2: One thing I do want to put out there just because I don't want to get tweeted at later um, or texted by people who will fact check me in real time. Um, <laughs> uh, this is not the first time that there have ever been objections to the certification of the electoral college vote. It happens. It, I mean, it's happened a bunch of times. Both parties do it. There were some Democrats in the Senate that did it in 2016. There have been Republicans, I think that did it before. Like this is not it. However, there is a, there is a difference this time I believe that this is the first time it has ever been done one in mass, two by a single party, three in both houses and four with the express purpose of delaying certification of the electoral college vote and five to try and exact a like concession from the other party. Those are things that I, as far as I'm aware have never happened before. Um, uh, certainly since not since 1876, which is when all this kind of process for this started. Um, and so Um, um, there is a difference this year, but it is true. Members of both parties have objected to certification of the electoral college vote before, but when that has been done, it's been kind of like a, yeah, I'm it's, we're going to, it's going to pass 99 to one, but I'm, I'm pissy about it. So I'm going to object, even though it doesn't really mean anything. Um, Relatedly, uh, Trevor Brown has this out just now from Oklahoma watch. It says, I asked all 39 Oklahoma legislators who signed a letter asking Congress to challenge the presidential election if they still stand by their decision after the siege at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, apparently, of those 39, three have responded to his request for comment, which is um, fairly on brand, I think. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, a lot of people are tweeting out, just um, kind of circling back just a little bit, this article from the Anchorage Daily News where Senator Murkowski says – That she is potentially open to switching. I I should should say switching parties, but she doesn't know if staying a member of the Republican Party is kind of the the route, you know, what's going to be the route for her, if that is in fact the party of Trump. And a lot of people are pointing out that one reason Senator Murkowski has the freedom to do that is because uh, Alaska has. uh, a different kind of voting system where okay. you don't necessarily have to win your party's nomination to be able and win the general election. Senator Murkowski actually lost the Republican primary, but was still elected overwhelmingly in the general election. So if you're into things like ranked choice voting and open primaries, um, that's the kind of freedom that you can see from your elected officials. Alaska is the interesting
1: Yeah, it is an, ele- an interesting state. And it gives people the option and the ability to to make the right decisions when when making when it when it's making a tough decision, right? Uh, because these lawmakers, it's not always easy standing up for what's right. I'll never forget uh, recently reading through a state lawmaker who is conservative's Facebook page, where. From a conservative lens, I mean, he wrote a pretty decent response to what happened on Wednesday. Basically just saying violence isn't a good thing. We shouldn't do this at our nation's capital, right? You read his comments and people attacking him. How often did you talk about BLM? I can't believe that you want to put down the 200,000 patriots who don't wanna stand for this, whatever this is anymore, right? You're gonna lose reelection. And so we really make it challenging for people to do the right things because of the systems that we have set up. We had all five members of our House of Representatives in Congress vote for objecting to the electoral college certification. I don't think they did it because they believe that our elections um, aren't fair. I don't believe that they truly believe in the voter fraud narrative, but guess who does? Many of their constituents and the people who were blowing up their phones over the past couple weeks telling them that they need to do something, there's voter fraud out here feeding into the narrative that President Trump kept saying over social media on Twitter and media interviews and everything, and so it matters that we change our structures and our systems that give people the ability and opportunity to do the right thing. And I think it, uh, Alaska is a great example of having those flexibilities for people to to make decisions that are based in their beliefs and morality and not just, I have to appeal to the will of the base.
0: Yeah. 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 Alaska actually did approve rank choice voting uh, at the election in November. So they will be using that in the next, uh, I think the next election. So, um,
1: uh, and Andy, before we move on, I'd be remiss to not bring up um, this important point that we need to think about with what happened on Wednesday, um, the stark contrast of racial inequality that still exists in this country. Yeah. Um, we were talking about before the podcast started, uh, people who were saying that we're the Patriots, you're supposed to be shooting at BLM. You're not supposed to be shooting at the Patriots. So even we have this otherism that still is deeply rooted into these political ideas that are dangerous. These aren't just words and beliefs in the First Amendment. These are things that are leading to literal harm, putting our national security at risk, but also putting other people at risk. Because the truth is, if these folks who stormed the Capitol were majority black and brown, they would have been shot on site. There would have been lots of pepper spray. There would have been National Guard there 48 hours in advance, (laughs) prepared, waiting for them to show up, right? We didn't see with the protests that have been happening, even in the summer, um, A, police officers getting killed. We didn't see um, anyone tearing apart our nation's capital, right? Um, And even in Oklahoma, when the protests happened here in Oklahoma City, we saw more force from our local police department then we saw at our own nation's capital, mm-hmm. like there were friends who got pepper sprayed and, and tear gassed for getting too close to a barricade, and I think one person in the crowd like threw like a bottle or something like that at our police officers who had all this military gear on, mm-hmm. and that triggered them to take these extreme uh, precautions to stop the protesters. Right, and that we, and then when you look at see what happened in D.C. People hanging nooses, right? People carrying flags, climbing walls. Mm -hmm. You saw somebody challenging a police officer running past him up the stairs as if he has no authority whatsoever, right? There was even just so much fear from the way law enforcement policed them. Like black people and white people are policed differently in this country. And what happened on Wednesday, showed that and also because somebody brought up this is a great point that we need to be talking about right d.a prater pressed terrorism charges against some teenagers and some folks who may have broken a window that's probably going to get paid for out of somebody's insurance right um or a little bit of property damage that should have been just like a um misdemeanor vandalism charge right? He charged them terrorism charges and jacked up the, the amount of bail that they had to even get out. Meanwhile, we saw images of white people who got into that Capitol building and tore things apart and entered illegally, escorted safely out of the building, and they're at home with their families, you know, going back to work like a normal day. Mm-hmm. We have to talk about the inequality that exists still to this day in policing and it has to change if we want the country to move forward.
0: Yeah, I really I just I just want to follow that by saying yes. <laughs> I um yeah, yeah, I, for the last 4 years I feel like there have been a number of occurrences where it felt like things were ratcheting up, right? Like things are getting worse. Things are getting more serious. Things are getting more intense. And certainly over the last year, it's gotten even more so, right? And the heat of the pandemic upon our collective psyche has undoubtedly contributed to that. However, some of these issues have been here for hundreds of years, right? And and we got to this point now where the Capitol building of the United States was invaded by people who wanted to some of whom, right, wanted to capture and torture or kill members of Congress. Like they've said that. It's
1: they were actively looking for them in yes, the building.
0: Right. Right, they um, went to
1: to Nancy Pelosi's office to harm her. They weren't right. there just to yeah. have a Maybe. friendly conversation to her. <laughs> right,
0: this wasn't a hill visit where they're like, "I've got a I've got a one pager for you, Speaker Pelosi." Um, no, and and I you know I hope to God that the people who were in that for doing that harm were indeed the a small minority. But even that is terrifying, right? It's a small minority of folks who are plotting to capture the governor of Michigan. Like, this is scary. Like, it's, these are, this is scary. And- Especially you know, when thinking.
1: we're a nation that's known for peaceful transitions and transfers of power. Right. And that's right. not what's happening. Right. I worry about the safety of members of Congress on both sides of the aisle, but I especially worry about um, President-elect Joe Biden and- and Vice President-elect Kamala Harris and their safety, yeah. especially over the next few weeks.
0: Yeah, like this was not a a white-collar crime, right? It wasn't like someone was skimming money from somebody else. Like this was a, a very scary deal. And I sincerely hope that we as a country really do some soul searching on this, right? And... I'm I'm worried that the people that need to do it the most won't, because that's usually the way these things go, right? The people that voted to object to this, the electors in two years when they're up for a re-election, this will be in the past and like something that they don't talk about, right? They'll try to brush this under the rug. And I am worried that, as some members of Congress have said, like, well, if things keep happening, then we'll take serious action. It's like, well, at some point we gotta learn our lesson. Anyway. On that note, Scott, do you have something else to say?
2: Yeah, I was just gonna I agree obviously with everything that both of you guys said. I think you know it's just there's just so there's so much here. Um and one thing that has resonated with with me, and this is not to 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 disagree like with what you said, Bailey, about we're a nation that's known for peaceful transfers of power. Certainly that's true. Like there are there are things there are things that happen this week that we haven't seen before, at least in our lifetimes. But I've seen a lot on Twitter. You know, there's like, I like our leaders, and you know, people. Oh, this is this, we're Americans. This is not who we are. And I've seen a lot of people say, "Um, yeah, it freaking is, right? It is exactly who we are, right?" This brings to the fore like deep seated like racial inequality, deep seated justice inequality, and it also shows the power of the different media ecosystems that we've developed, right? Um, he says, as he talks in his podcast, <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're not like, we don't claim one to be like journalists too. We don't claim to know everything. I think that the three of us do our best to tell you what we think about what's going on with the best understanding of the facts that we have. But I also think that if we get something wrong, we're pretty, um like like super open to being like oh yeah i said that and that was not correct right um but this shows what happens when you can take a huge group of people that and and just like inflate like there are people i think who showed up at the capitol this week who thought that they were there to defend their country right they thought that like their uh, the integrity of our like political process had been like stolen from them right now one of the reasons that i think a lot of them are pissed off about that is because they thought that meant that it was power for somebody else other than them but like i think that there are people who genuinely believe this stuff that is spewed by politicians and it yeah i think it is more prominent on the right now it has absolutely been more prominent on the left at other times in our nation's past it's not a left right thing it's a politician thing um and it's just it's just so dangerous. Like it's so dangerous and it's so it's so sad. And we saw people get killed this week. And if we don't find a way to bring the temperature down and start returning to a place where there's like basic facts that all of us can agree on, we're gonna see more people get get hurt. Um and I'm afraid that as we continue to grapple particularly with the very like real and persistent legacy of systemic racial oppression and injustice that we have in this country, I'm worried that we're going to see more violence before we see less. I hope that I'm wrong, but I fear that that's where we're headed.
0: Yeah.
1: Especially if the definition of patriotism is defending your country of showing up at the Capitol, but... Protesting and defending someone's right to not be murdered by people who are paid with our tax dollars is evil and divisive (laughs) and anti-American. Like we're we're in a dangerous place if the narrative is accepted in this lens, but it's not okay in this other lens. Right. Um, I've seen a lot of conversation about people wanting to, the the white woman who was a military veteran um, who died on the hill during everything that happened, people are talking about her in, in a positive light. They're talking about her military record. There's a lot of empathy in the conversation about how she lost her life. This summer, a man begged for his life and called for his mama after having a knee on his neck for so long and couldn't breathe. Right, and no one did anything about it. But when you talk about his life, we're talking about a criminal past. Right, I had to bring up to somebody a a homeless man was killed in Oklahoma City, right, by law enforcement, and he was in a moment of crisis. But instead of talking about who he was. There was conversation in the media about how he had a knife four years ago and what crime he committed years past, right? And so there is a stark difference in how people are taking in information, how they're thinking about perceiving the world. And if it is white people get to be patriots, but Black people do not, that's that's dangerous. Or people who believe in, in racial justice, we're going to continue to see that's what feeds the violence. It's not racial protests. It's not, it's this belief that the Patriots should be thanked for storming the Capitol or the BLMs are the ones who should be shot. Like that's, that's what's dangerous. And it's more than just rhetoric and first amendment.
0: Yes. Words have meaning, right? And I don't, if this is an evidence of that, I don't know what is, right? Like, Words have meaning and we need to be conscientious of the words we use. And I had a, a pastor years ago that talked about the dichotomy of love and power and how they are. Love is the opposite of power. That if you have love for someone, you cannot have power over them. And if you have power over someone, you The act of loving them is to give up, to abdicate that power, to show that love. And I think about that a lot, um, particularly as it pertains to politics and public service and civic life, right? And being a good citizen, that there are plenty of folks with whom I may disagree. How I express my disagreement does not have to be at odds with how I express my love for my fellow man, right? That, and I, even if, and this is, I get people's frustration with this, but even if they are filled with hate themselves, right? And they may want me dead or, you know, people like me or whatever, that, that doesn't mean that I have to stoop to that level. So I'll leave it. I'll leave it there for now. So uh, that
2: gets us back to Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> what day is it now? Today's Friday.
0: <laughs> Let's. Uh, yeah, mean,
1: to- well, we have to talk about the history that happened on is that Tuesday.
0: Tuesday. 100%. Um, 100%. My,
1: my, my days are running together. Um, yeah. The Democrats will have control of all three branches of government for the first time in a decade
0: well not three branches but i mean three, three,
1: three yeah. um chambers i'm sorry i meant to say yes. chambers not yeah. branches yeah. thanks meeting, the words government. matter.
0: there you go right i so all the, knew what you meant they'll so have
1: the three,
2: unified unified control of the elected branches yes, yes. Yeah.
1: it's it's by a very thin string and that happened after tuesday's election of warnock and ossoff um in the state of georgia warnock uh will be the is the first black person to represent the state of Georgia in its state history in the U.S. Senate. And there's been very few Black senators in this country already, Um, but he's filling a two-year term, I believe. So he's going to have to run again in the future. So this power dynamic exists for, at a minimum, two years. And Democrats are going to be in the spotlight the there the pressure is going to be on them to make decisions that the voters who waited hours and hours um to show up or frankly especially black folks showed up in mass numbers that helped tip the election and Democrats are going to have to show up in a real way. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure over them over the next two years when the ideological beliefs, even within uh, the the Democratic caucuses um, within the House and the Senate are so broad. So how are you going to bring people together on one accord to get real policy passed in a very finite amount of time? And so it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next couple of years with this new balance of power.
2: Yeah. I think one thing that, that I, I I don't know. I'm going to make a little bit of a prediction here. I could be totally wrong. And um, I think that one thing I think, I think the events of this week um, may actually make that more likely in some ways, Bailey, that you, that you see maybe bigger changes in, in in the way we govern than you would have before. So as you mentioned, the Senate is, a, the, officially the Senate is tied. Democrats have 50 seats, Republicans have 50 seats, but because Democrats control the presidency, the vice presidency, the pre- president of the Senate, also known as the vice president of the United States, cast the tie-breaking vote. Uh, as of January 20th, that will be uh, Vice President Kamala Harris of California. Um, so the Dems have 51 votes that they can pass stuff with. People may or may not be familiar with the rules of the Senate um, that right now you have to, um, essentially any senator can keep any bill from passing by putting a hold on it, also called a filibuster. They don't actually have to filibuster like they used to, which is, um, irritates me to no end, but that's neither here nor there. Um, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not Democrats would get rid of the filibuster requirements so they could pass things by simple majority. There's been a lot of talk about whether or not – or to what extent they can use a a rule called budget reconciliation, whether they can, where they can pass stuff with fifty one with fifty one votes as long as it pertains directly to the budget, it's not subject to the filibuster. Um, there is a a big voting rights bill that has already passed the House. Um, at least once will pass the house again as soon as they come back in session that they've already put it on the agenda um, called HR one that that is uh, it has to do with campaign finance reform. It has to do with voting reform. It has to do with independent redistricting. It's a, it's a massive package of government reform um, that I don't, I don't know what chance it might've had before. I wonder if it has more of a chance now because the events of this week show I, that democratic reforms small d democratic reforms are needed more than ever um and so even though there is a diverse caucus on the left with senators from georgia california and oregon and new york and and lots of places in between having to try and um build unity i wonder if the events of this week may spur them towards that goal i don't i don't know maybe they won't do shit, but i i, I wonder about that
0: I mean, yeah. Obviously, I hope so. As someone who is um, very active in the democratic reform space, if I can uh, put it that way, I, small I, D, small D, yes, um, making democracy better for everybody um, and more fair. So, I think that's a, a big deal. HR one would be enormous for Oklahoma and for every other state, right? It's automatic voter registration, um, universal vote by mail um, independent redistricting, um, online voter registration, also all the votes we backed up with paper ballots required in every state. So we'd get past some of this nonsense of, you know, they would reduce some of the variations in how elections are held. Um, also tons of civic education, um, uh, promotion of voting voter registration among, um, teenagers as they near their 18th birthday, like, all kinds of stuff. It will be, it would be great. And as of so far, there's not much like pork in the bill. Like it's a, yeah. it's a relatively pure bill, which is rare these days. So um, it would be, well, hey man, if, a if you got to stuff that thing full of bacon to get it across the finish
2: line, then, you know, you shove some fat back in there, you put some bacon in there, you can put some pull. I don't shove whatever you need in to, to get it across the finish line in some form. Because even if this Congress If they did nothing else besides HR1, I mean, I would be disappointed because there's a lot of stuff we need to address in this country. But just HR1 alone would be monumental in terms of ballot access, ballot like equity, election security. I mean, like, it's, it would, it would be incredible.
0: Ethics as well. There's a bunch of, uh, changes to campaign ethics laws, and public financing of campaigns. So rather than allow these campaigns to have billion dollar price tags that are funded by corporations and and that kind of thing, um, it would set some limits and um, help us run elections more like some of the other more stable democracies in our world, right? Where like campaigns are financed through public dollars rather than corporate dollars. And it helps it just be a little more, even of a playing field. Also it would promote, there's some changes in there that would promote people running for office that might not be financially able to do so now. Like it would open some doors to folks that would, you know, like most people who aren't rich that might want to be a great public service, but can't afford to run right now. So.
1: Absolutely. I mean, there's just a lot of measures that the House has passed that's on the Senate's desk um, that we will see what the priority is going to be for this incoming administration. Because beyond the priorities of Nancy Pelosi in the House, um, there's a lot that was promised on the campaign trail. There's been conversation yeah. about eliminating student loan debt. Um, there's pushes on doing more for direct payment, uh, for the American people. Um, there's been talks of, I mean, uh, background check. Well, I mean, you, there's a range of things that they could possibly take on. And so we'll see what the political will will be. Um, and what things will be the the priority over the next couple of years.
2: Yeah. But to echo if- your initial point, Bailey, I, I will say they're, they better, they better, they better show up because, um you know not only do democrats control the senate i would argue um because of of black voters and in particular black women but they also have the presidency um because of black voters and in particular black women and so uh i i think that the the expectation is that the the dems show up and uh i personally hope that we see that
0: yeah agreed agreed okay well um I think because of the magnitude of the events this week and the importance of them and the overall scope of our democracy and how it affects each of us at a federal level and here in our state, um, let's cap this episode on this topic, right? And then looking at the calendar, right? So listeners, this Oklahoma legislative session begins on Monday, February 2nd. No, excuse me, February 1st. I'm looking at the 2nd on February 1st, uh, which is that Monday. That gives us three more Fridays, so three episodes of Let's Pod This between now and then. The bill filing deadline is Thursday the 21st. So basically we could have next week's episode to talk about uh, organizational day, what to expect a little bit, um, and and you know, kind of catch us up to where we are now. And then on the following week, uh, we could talk about some of the legislation that's been filed and what we think might be going to gain some traction. I'll start working on our annual Predictorama um, guessing game about what legislation is going to make it through. Uh, And then we'll have one more episode after that to really hunker down and get ready. Maybe we can get some of the legislative leadership to come on, as we have in the past, talk about what their priorities are for this session.
1: Because I know there's I a lot of um, forums and opportunities for lawmakers already slated by different organizations. Yeah. And so it'll especially be interesting to see what priorities they lift so that we can do some digging here on the podcast about what priorities they talk about.
0: Yeah, so so let's plan on that. So listeners, we're planning right along with you. So next week... Um, we'll plan to talk about what's happened so far, organizational day rules, that kind of stuff. Teeing up for the following week um, to talk on the 22nd to talk about um, some of the bills that have been proposed. You know, what's what are the hot the what are the talking points that won't go anywhere? What are the really meaty ones that no one's talking about yet? Uh, and what don't we know? Which is always the the dark horse in the state legislative uh, uh, space. And then on the 29th. Um, we'll try to get a couple of leaders to come on and talk about their expectations for what's going to happen this year. That sounds like a good plan to me. That plan, of course, is entirely contingent on the fact that we, the pandemic doesn't get worse. There's not an attack on our country in some way. We'll get a new president somewhere in between there. Um, it'll be a busy month.
1: There's still conversations about impeachment and other things, so who knows what else is will be on the agenda next week. <laughs> That's right.
0: You know, Scott and I love an emergency pod when we have to. So, uh, oh. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so if uh, if breaking news happens, we'll uh, we'll do that. Okay, on that note, listeners, thank you so much. Welcome to 2021. It is shaping up to be a doozy. We'll see you next week.